Hello, Caitlin. Hello, Bernadette. Are you afraid of the dead? Most of the time. Spooky. Well, we're going to talk about dead things on this episode. Welcome to Stone <laughs> Houses, an amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore. I'm Caitlin Bruder. I'm Laura Bernadette Meeker. Welcome, Caitlin, to our show. Welcome to our <laughs> show that we do. <laughs> the one that we host. Ours. We host. Uh, so in the title, or the tagline of our show, we do say an amateur guide, which is well and good when we're uh, screwing around about, you know, William Blake or Western dudes, because we're both white. We're both from the States. We both have a, a pretty solidly European uh, background. Our amateur is a good, easy way for us to let you know that we do research, but still might occasionally slip up, because that happens. Yeah, but that's less funny and fun when we slip up about cultures that we don't belong to, that we can't yes. make light of, because, you know, people have to deal with getting this stuff taken from them all the time, and we don't want to be a force of bad there. Uh, we want to learn, and we want you to learn with us, but we also want to avoid inadvertently you know, harming anyone or perpetuating hurtful stereotypes. And we felt it was important to address that. As we carry on and start talking about things outside of Britain, which is my <laughs> yeah. area of expertise, and like what some white dude did in 1800, uh, we're going to start getting into areas of the world where our base of knowledge is a little smaller and we are going to try and do as much research as we can. But if we say yes. something really dumb... And not okay, and that kind of thing. Let us know, please. Please, please do. We want to be cool. We don't want to be lame. <laughs> I just wanted to be cool my whole life, Caitlin. This is all I need. Yeah, we want to make sure that this is like a, a safe space for everyone to learn and goof along with us. We don't want this to be something where we say something wrong, where we don't quite understand the context of a something we're saying so we just want to we want to we want to be cool that's our goal here all right so you let us know speaking of cool things corpses <laughs> yes corpses all right so uh we have a concept of western vampires blood drinkers Etc. Etc. And actually, I think it's kind of disingenuous to call what we're going to talk about Chinese vampires because they're pretty dissimilar. Are we going to call all dangerous dead things vampires? I don't know <laughs> where that parallel came from. I think there's some interesting overlap that I'm sure we'll talk about later about why they are considered vampires and where Western influence kind of changed things in cinema specifically. Uh, but they're really, they're not anything like, you know, what we in, like, Western culture would consider a vampire. They're quite different. They're not getting their fangs into you. It's, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, parallel, but not, they're not the same thing. We're talking about Jiangxi, which, uh, according to the internet, is either pronounced Jiangxi with a, what I would call, like, a hard G, like in Jif, or, uh, oh, no, that's controversial now. Or uh, <laughs> Jiangxi with a, uh, in Polish, it's a DZ. I'm sure there's a word for that letter. <laughs> but I just think of it as Jiangxi, like uh, Zhaji. Uh, so <laughs> Jiangxi or Jiangxi, I'm sure I will say both because I have the a brain of mashed potatoes. Mm -hmm. But... <laughs> You don't normally think of things that hop as being scary, but I think that Jiangxi are genuinely terrifying. I'm sure there is some a form of fiction where there is like a suave Jiangxi, <laughs> but they are pretty clearly reanimated corpses. Mm -hmm. They have arms that are stiff with rigor mortis, usually held out right in front of them like zombies. Uh, yes. They have their Clothes are decaying, they're dressed as uh, all sorts, but usually they're pictured as dressed in the clothes of a Mandarin, which was a imperial Chinese bureaucrat from about 1550 to the 1900s. 
and their skin is falling off. They have these ultra-long fingernails, which I believe is connected to the idea of fingernails growing after death. Um, Although, I would like to say for the record, that's a myth. It's actually your skin retracting. Same for your hair. Thank you, um, that stiff, that book about corpses (laughs) that I really liked when I was 16. (laughs) And uh, you'll also see them. They have this kind of, um, this short hat with a brim that is tilted outwards with a domed top. And they'll have a talisman hanging from the front of their face which is supposed to keep them in place, obviously doesn't always work. And often they'll have a really long braid. I don't know if that's in a queue or just a very long braid, but um, they're at once very elegant and very scary because they are somehow (laughs) midway between zombie and vampire while Mm -hmm. being scarier than both. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. And they hop. So they don't just... um, they don't just like walk forward and vomit the sack. Your blood. Think of um, in Nosferatu, the rising out of the co- coffin or moving down the hallway. How stiff he is! I think if you're going to draw a vampire comparison, that's the best one you can do. Yeah. Also, I just realized how awesome it would be to watch a um, early horror style film about Jiangxi. <laughs> they would be so scary. They would be. Oh, man. I just want to see that now. So, Jiangxi don't suck blood. They absorb energy. And if they take your life energy, you're going to turn into a Jiangxi. Um, This can be interpreted as a kind of restless dead. Yeah, the Jiangxi's appearance has sort of a, a range depending on where you look or what story or, I guess, just how recently they've been dead and or undead. You can kind of find descriptions of them being just, like, average human, maybe a little sullen-looking, little sallow. Is that a word? Sallow? I think that's what I'm talking about. To a borderline horrifying nightmare fuel where they have that rotting flesh and that, uh, like, the rigor mortis obviously both would be, but that they're even more so with this the state of decay over a longer period of time. And I don't know, I find it so interesting with the like the rigor mortis descriptions when you look into descriptions of their movements and stuff. It was mm-hmm. so weird and so cool and some of the clips that I watched and I will talk about the movies and stuff like that later, but like the they're hopping because they can't bend their knees to walk like they they are all of their body parts are stiff and elongated and all outstretched and it's just really, really weird. This is where I admit why I chose this topic. (laughs) One of my favorite TV shows is called New Journey to the West. It's a Korean variety show. And for the fifth season, they they always have themed costumes, but up until now, they've been Dragon Ball themed. That's awesome. Yeah, it's excellent. Uh, But for the fifth season, they were horror themed. Uh, Fittingly, it went all the way up to about the end of Halloween. And um, Jaehyun, who is very tall and I wouldn't say gangly, he's very handsome, okay? He's <laughs> bird-like and handsome. And he was dressed up as a Jiangxi and he was immediately dubbed Handsome Jiangxi. And um, he's got like boards in his arms or something that for a couple episodes meant that whenever he was in costume, people would have to help him like eat and stuff. Uh, <laughs> and it was very funny. And uh, he got very into the RP. When he was very sad, he started hopping into a wall dejectedly. <laughs> very handsome, very dumb. That's okay. I chose the Goatman because of a tabletop RPG show on the internet, so we, we get our inspiration from all sorts of places. Yeah. But unfortunately, <laughs> most Jiangxi are not handsome like Jaehyun or... Not quite so uh, charming. Not quite so harmless. <laughs> That's true. Uh, some other weird stuff that I found about like how they look is that they have, in some, not all, but some, they have like this greenish, pale skin, uh, and that the theory behind that is that there's could be like because they're decaying dead corpses. There's maybe fungus or mold growing within the body, within the skin, and it's really, really gross. 
<laughs> but uh, also a cool, as we know, I enjoy the very descriptive narratives of these creatures it's yeah. yeah that is my jam i also saw one that was like that they have like their like fuzzy green skin like the mole like it's so gross. a step too far for you i mean yeah. it is very good i i gotta admit i didn't actually know about the whole like really long prehensile tongue thing so in some images yeah, i was just gonna say that including so caitlin's illustration they have these really long like spooky tongues yeah. and i was not familiar with that it's it's interesting, yeah. With I was gonna say, like in in addition to the claws, they have that, that icky tongue. It freaks me out. But um, there are some that have these sharp, sharp teeth, um, and then have, uh, due to maybe the mold or fungus, have some sort of phosphorescent glow, um, which I think is kind of cool, but also would be extremely unsettling to encounter in the night in a street somewhere. Comic corner. Very quick aside. Have you read Dershing Helmer's um? Mars Internum, I think it's called. I don't think so, no. It's a webcomic, uh, recently got a text publishing through Kickstarter, but it has some very good, um, I wouldn't say body horror things about um, human bodies interacting with other organisms, but I will say that the protagonist has a mushroom growing on his head for a significant <laughs> portion of the narrative. It's very good, very, um, very good about portraying some deep psychological terror without being Interesting. a horror horror. It, it's more of a, um, what I would call a botanical sci-fi the same way Annihilation hmm. is, which is why I like it. Anyway, that was the comic corner. No, I like this. Good. I'm down here squatting with my little dunce cap on. <laughs> no, you're good. It's a good I have comic to, artist. We can talk about that. Do I have to it's come good. back to the podcast Yeah, table? probably. Okay. I don't know if I can do this by myself. This is your topic. <laughs> can I keep wearing my hat? Absolutely. Excellent. All right. <laughs> the I'm back. only other thing that I found that was kind of that was really interesting to me, and it's not, I guess, completely into appearance, but it's the depiction of them wearing the uh, the Jing Dynasty officials. Uniform. Yeah, the Mandarin is yes, the name yeah, of the office. Yeah, yeah, the Mandarin uh, uniform or outfit. Uh, was maybe coming from a mindset where people were like anti that oh. dynasty ideology. So because the officials were considered like bloodthirsty creatures, quote unquote, who had like little regard for the people around them, so they were portrayed as these monsters because people had were like there were there was like a this ideology that was very anti what they had going on. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So it's not really appearance of them, but something to do with the culture behind why they're depicted without that clothing so I, I thought that was That's very good also i like the idea it's you know how the uh the demon those adventure time guys are in like lawyerly business suits it's basically that but with bureaucrats <laughs> yeah, it is yeah it's the same it's thing true <laughs> I, I don't know if this is something that you found but i also saw like a version where they as they grow stronger it like allows them to acquire skills like like they can fly or transform oh, yes. into wolves, so we get some overlap into some other interesting Extremely creatures. cool. Really awesome. Uh, there are so many levels of, like, codified mythology, which is 100% something I'm into. I don't <laughs> know how much of this has to do with... No, this is just me being, like, let me talk about something I know approximately <laughs> f nothing about. I just wanted to talk about how... Uh, when new dynasties transitioned, they would, uh, scholars writing narratives about the changing of dynasties as it pertains to the mandate of heaven is really important, and I wonder if that had anything to do with it, and I'll shut <laughs> up now because I'm not a, uh, a history major. Oh no, I'm really sorry. <laughs> My one Chinese history professor is somewhere just being like, please stop talking. <laughs> It was an art history class, obviously, because I have <laughs> just the worst, worst amount of confidence. Let's move away from that. Uh, so there are a couple of sources that are credited with um, codifying the idea of Jiangxi really early on in Chinese literature. My favorite one that I want to talk about is called What the Master Would Not Discuss a collection of supernatural stories by 
uh, King Dynasty scholar and writer Yuan Mei, which I especially like because it falls into my favorite uh, category of historical writing, which is derivative historical fiction as it relates to <laughs> more famous works. I'm, I don't want to call it fan fiction because I can't be... Uh, <laughs> I can't be as I can't be as cowboyish in my attribution of terms when it comes to uh, Eastern literary canon because I just don't know that much about it. But mm-hmm. um, what the master would not discuss is a direct reference to a section in the Analects of Confucius, which is a collection of sayings, ideas, basically a collection of uh, philosophical stories and such as connected to Confucius, who. If you know even the slightest bit about Chinese history, you know is incredibly important to the overall Mm -hmm. philosophy and development of government and uh, interpersonal relationships. So it's pretty wild that the story of stuff like um, revenge and murder and ghosts and all kinds (laughs) of, basically all of the things that were not, um, not fit to print, Uh, It directly references a passage from the Analects that states, Confucius did not speak of strange events, violence, riots, and supernatural things. Which, by the way, includes things like homosexuality (laughs) and uh, transgenderism, basically. So, at anything that was not considered uh, above board, Yuan Mei would write about. And I think that's just so good. Uh, Apparently... Some parts of it were very, very influential to the game Megami Tensei, which I've never played. Hmm. Um, there are a couple of other works. There is, oh, the alternate title of What the Master Would Not Discuss. Not much of it is available in English that's not behind a paywall. The book I tried to order is $300. Someone sponsor us so we can do some more deep reading. Let me buy this $300 scholar text from episode we've already done so I can just read it. <laughs> it wasn't clear to me if this is a secondary title, but Zibuyu or What the Master Would Not Discuss is usually how it's credited. Uh, it was published in 1788. Even older than that is something called Jinchu Shuishiji, uh, Remind you that Chinese is an incredibly difficult tonal language, and I'm an idiot, uh, is from the 6th or 7th century. It's a compilation of texts arranged by Du Gongzhan, uh, which has since been compiled by uh, later scholars, which I would say is roughly equivalent to the idea of, you know, we talk a lot about, about Geoffrey of Monmouth's work compiling essentially local myths and legends into a uh, a single volume. I'd say that's a, a similar deal. Mm-hmm. God, I wish I could read any of these. <laughs> Maybe uh, someday. It's available online at the original Chinese. I can barely read English. <laughs> and then, very recent, if you would like to read something that is actually very, very good, and I actually got a chance, there are a few excerpts on it, and one of them is actually related to Jiangxi. It's called The Corpse Walker by Liao Yiwu. It was published in 2008, and it's stories from, quote-unquote, the lower rungs of Chinese society. Which brings me to a cool historical point. The Corpse Walker, uh, a character who appears in a movie we'll talk about later. (laughs) Uh, The idea of, where do you want to bury your dead? You got your friend, your aunt, your uncle, you would like to bury them close to home, right? Yes. But how are you going to get there? Freight is expensive, that kind of thing. Why not have a priest who raised the dead and put a ceiling ceiling talisman on their head to keep them from going haywire and then lead them back home playing a drum to make them hop along? It's, like, the best form of necromancy. Um, (laughs) There are some versions where it's a bell or a drum or a drum and a bell. But the idea is, imagine this priest walking along this landscape, banging this drum as a line of corpses follow behind him, (laughs) hopping at each one. He's, like, a much more necrotic Pied Piper. Right? As a way to, like, (laughs) transport the dead. That's the best! 
I did read a little bit about something. I don't know if it was this story specifically or something, whatever, but I was like, this is just like so, so cool. And like the way that they like historically what they would equate that to with the actual moving of corpses, what they would actually do and how. Please tell me. I can see so easily the transition from what actually happened to that story. Like it makes like total sense. I don't have a ton of info on it, but the the movement of or trying to get either soldiers home or people who had traveled who had passed away home there was like almost like a procession where you would it it was something by propping them up with bamboo rods or something like that so as and they would move them at night because it was cooler and you wouldn't want Mm -hmm. to take a dead body out in the hot sun across many miles it wouldn't probably be very good but the so it would be at night and someone would be ringing a bell or banging a drum or some sort of instrument to warn people away or have some sort of lantern in the front. But if you could see in a field from far away these extremely tall figures that seem to be moving on their own through the field in sort of a hopping, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, form of locomotion, I can see so easily how, how this became... Uh, that's its own entity in people's minds and it's i don't know that's just really interesting so that i had heard something similar to that but i don't know if it was exactly what you had said so i but but that just makes a ton of sense to me and i think it's really really cool how like the origin of stories like this and maybe i can i can find out where i put that in my notes and actually give you a little bit of a better (laughs) rundown of that but yeah do they uh if you find it do they talk about why they would transport the corpses um, upright? I guess it, it, I can't think of a justification because I don't know enough about corpses. <laughs> okay. Yeah. In this episode, Caitlin Googles it real quick. Uh, Wikipedia says it was literally driving the corpses. Uh, it was really popular because if people left home to work somewhere else after they died, their bodies would be transported back to their hometown. Because it was believed that their souls would feel homesick if they were buried somewhere unfamiliar to them. So the corpses would be arranged upright, single file, and be tied to long bamboo rods on the sides, while two men, one at the front and one at the back, would carry the ends of the rods on their shoulders as they walk. When the bamboo flexed up and down, the corpses appeared to be hopping in unison when viewed from a distance away. So that's that's the quote-unquote from Wikipedia for us real quick while I... (laughs) made sure my facts were correct but yeah so that was i can't find anything about why they were put upright maybe it's just um a, a kind of respect you know mm-hmm. don't want to storm like cargo yeah exactly so but yeah so that's kind of an interesting way of movement but i do love that you don't want them to be lonely when they're away from home so i think i find that really very sweet incredible incredibly sweet also i i'd imagine in a like when you are so closely connected to your ancestors you don't want to be like and then we forgot about him he's (laughs) way across the country whoops (laughs) sorry he can't be at home (laughs) there's also actually uh some stuff i read about how there was uh some people who potentially were speculating that the jiangxi were originally made up by like smugglers and like below <laughs> the table like dealers who like were disguising their their illegal activities were underneath their front of corpse transportation oh and man then, yeah so that's one theory that, that that's maybe who made up that but i don't know what the credibility of that of that is that's pretty wild i mean you know, you don't. People don't want to root around in in funereal stuff. It's uh. That's true. God, what was it? There was a ship way back before um, Vienna could justify trade with uh, Eastern nations because of you know Catholicism and racism <laughs> yeah. and stuff. They justified it by um, by smuggling part of a dead saint out in a barrel <gasps> of pork, and then oh, from then no. on they. Uh, justified their trade by saying, well, we gotta do all this smuggling because it's how we get our saint bits over. Uh, oh no! Oh yeah. no, oh no! You, any like deeper into it all. and you get into some real shifty stuff about uh, 
nasty things said about merchant people who are not Catholic. That is so deeply upsetting. I know. <laughs> Why don't put the Pope in the port? You need your artifacts. <laughs> One day we are going to talk about <laughs> reliquary churches and how they're the oh, weirdest. We'll get there. We have our, our list of our ongoing list of topics that we will, if in the future, do is at this point ensuring that our podcast is long lived because there's a lot of things we want to scream at the internet about. <laughs> oh man! Oh well, I want to talk about how Jiangxi happened. Yes, please. In real life is what I'm talking about. You got a Jiangxi. Let me tell you about how it happened. <laughs> Like with many mythological creatures, there are a lot of competing theories, a lot of which are from different mythological texts or from different uh, horror stories or from pseudo-histories, I guess you'd call them, things that aren't codified into the official history but are still written by scholars or people who are (laughs) scholar-adjacent. In some stories, it's a possession, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Almost almost more zombie-like, except with all of the cool perks of being a Jiangxi. Infected with the Jiangxi virus as you right? slowly turn into one, yeah. My favorite one is the idea that it's these corpse walkers, the basically necromantic priests who are walking these home, but they have too many under their spell, so some <laughs> just kind of wander off and terrorize oh, no. the countryside. <laughs> Got bored in the lineup and decided... I know, right? Go heckle some folks. The other one that I thought was really interesting, if only because I knew nothing about it, is the idea that uh, the spiritual energy within the body becomes out of whack after death because the Han leaves the body, but the Poe remains. So I went into a whole thing learning about Han and Poe, which I'm sure are not as equivalent to yin and yang as I'm making them, but there is the idea of like, positive life energy that is ethereal and then negative energy that is earthly and um fleshy (laughs) you know feminine versus the masculine sun the feminine moon um so you grew up in a household where the you talked a lot about chi huh yeah yeah that's actually something that we kind of grew up uh talking about or probably not the nothing near <laughs> the original concept of it probably but um it's, it's the energy that flows through you and all living things and um i'm not going to pretend like i have any sort of expert <laughs> uh knowledge about it because we, it was just kind of like a like a background concept in our house like you need to like breathe in good energy and exhale out en- bad energy and if you um, are pulling the bad energy out of your body, you need to throw it to the ground and not near someone else because you don't want them to catch or absorb any of the bad energy that you're moving from yourself and things like that. Um, but this is this concept, the, the, the energy that flows through the people, that's the stuff, that's the good stuff that the, <laughs> mm, that the Xiangxi goes for. So like when we... <laughs> So when we think of vampires who suck blood, which is essentially a type of life force, the Jiangxi take your qi, which is a different type of life force. It is the energy. So that's what they that's what they're looking for. That's the stuff that they try to take from you. Yeah, I don't sorry, I don't have a whole I'm not gonna be able to talk amazingly about it, but that's my two cents on qi. Alright. Attempting to describe yin and yang. Um I have had very little exposure to, um, I, I believe the correct word is soul dualism. Um, but here is what I got. So you got yin, which is feminine. You've got uh, the negative principle. And then you've got yang, the positive principle, uh, which is male, light, um, warmth, uh, activity versus inactivity, I don't want to say destruction. They're meant to be two halves of the same whole. The duality, um, yeah. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised by um, being so unfamiliar with it. I was a little bit surprised that the feminine force was uh, associated with uh, a kind of uh, negative space. 
But I guess we have Western imagery of a, a female body as a vessel, which mm-hmm. is not to impugn the way this is verbalized, because it's meant to be uh, two halves of a whole, things that work together, light and shadow. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the two sides of the same coin type of thing. Yeah, they have to, you have to have one to have the other. They complete each other sort of a thing. And as far as I can tell, Hun and Po, or um, Cloud Soul and White Soul, as they are literally, is a kind of soul dualism that is not completely equivalent to yin and yang, but it's mentioned enough in the same articles that I kind of clumped them together in my notes. So let us know if you actually know a thing about this. But um, there's the idea that the human body in life has three hun, uh, hun being the positive male energy, And here I am, again, using it to mean, you know, the sun, warmth, heat, ethereal, versus the earth energy, the seven po. And the idea is that after death, um, a person's hun leaves its body because, you know, soul goes where it's going to go. And the po remains and takes control of the body and, you know, wiggles it around and decides to go eat some people. Your insides are out of whack. Another couple ideas... In general, any, like, mistreatment of a body, like, yes. you don't bury it at the right time, or you don't sanctify it, um, you don't perform the proper rituals, it's buried in a bad way, basically, or yeah. are mistreated. All of those are caused to have the body turn into a Jiangxi. Mm-hmm. If it's uh, kind of any sort of, yeah, like you said, any sort of thing, like, there's one, if somehow it fails to decompose after burial like it that's that's something that can cause it i saw one that was like if a some more bizarre ones like if a if a i saw two if either a black cat or a pregnant cat mm-hmm. walks over your place of burial or over your body before you're buried that can turn you into a jiangshi oh, man mm-hmm. black cats really do not get a pass anywhere do they i know it's kind of sad they're cute they're so uh, cute <laughs> if uh another one some more i guess uh Dark or sad versions would be if a person's soul like couldn't leave their body because of uh, some sort of unsavory death. Oh, right. Such as like suicide or being hanged or drowned or some sort of violent death. More on the sad side, but uh, another thing to keep the soul restless. Um, and then, and then there's also the use of like supernatural means to resurrect and cause trouble. Many troubles. Um, so Jiangxi are pretty violent and destructive as far as things go. They are, it's not like kind of a campy horror in a lot of these. Uh, in a lot of these original stories, they are serious business, real scary horror. Yeah. Luckily, they got the same fault as, uh, as far as I can tell, vampires and leprechauns, where they gotta count stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Here's some rice. Count it. Here's some coins. Count them. <laughs> I book it. <laughs> um, but that only shows up in a couple of places. So a lot of these are coming from the Jingchu Suishi. Chi. Oh boy, really stumbled on that one. But um, that is the older of the collections of works. That's from you know seventh century. There's a lot you can do to deal with them. Some yeah. of which I would be more cool with than others. I want a wooden <laughs> sword made of a peach tree. However, I don't want to hurt a black dog. Yeah. I don't know why. So the blood of a black dog is supposed to be harmful to a Jiangxi? Yeah, I have, like, so many things. <laughs> we have so many repellents. There's a lot of things we can do to protect give me, ourselves. Give me that repel Jiangxi. So, like you mentioned, counting things. If you drop a bag of countable small items in front of them it can cause them to stop and want to count um in like the the feng shui of of architecture and stuff if you put in the threshold a piece of wood that's like six inches high installed like along the width of the door it could prevent one from entering the household i don't know if that has specifically would like that to be peach tree wood like i don't know but that's that that's one thing is that peach is the essence of the five elements Right. Or items made from a peach tree, so the, the peach can dissuade evil spirits because it has properties of, of the five elements. Also delicious. 
Yes, I really enjoy that. I don't know, something about, like, items made from wood from a peach tree. I think that's extremely cool. <laughs> um, mirrors, the, they're supposed to be terrified of their own reflections. Or it can paralyze them, I've also seen. I don't know which is more popular than the other. A rooster's call, because it can signify, morning's coming, get out of here. So that could scare them away. Uh, sticky rice, or sweet rice. Mm. Uh, jujube seeds. So I saw one thing that said, quote, nail seven jujube seeds to into the acupuncture points on the back of a corpse. And that should, I don't know, either prevent them from <laughs> coming back to life or uh, can control or just dissuade or end their second <laughs> return to uprightness. So I sound like a goon. I read that and I was like, jujubes have seeds? And then I realized not the sugary <laughs> gummy <Little> candy. candies. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, that could also be interesting. I don't know how effective that would be. Maybe maybe they could count the jujubes candies. Maybe they That's just like they candy count. and they chill out. <laughs> um, uh, ad adzuki beans. They're like a red grayish bean. Uh, chicken eggs. Uh, handbell. Thread that has been stained with a concoction of black ink, chicken blood, and, uh, and a burnt talisman, which was interesting. Very, very specific. Uh, I found one, the urine of a virgin boy. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I have something to say about this, which Go came up it. in research. And don't be too grossed out because the past is a foreign country, etc., etc. Also, foreign countries are foreign countries. That's true. Too. So up until a certain period of time, um, urine has been used as a kind of um, uh, mouthwash and <laughs> for a... Consider considerable <laughs> amount of time in China, the pee of the young boy was considered the ideal specimen. It turns out there is actual science behind that because uh. there are certain chemicals that are in urine which uh, fight the germs that cause tooth decay. I just wanted to say <laughs> that it was considered cleansing for other reasons other than, you know... Being real young. So that, <laughs> there you go. It's interesting. I did not know that. And that said, there are better that, options now. Please there buy are options. mouthwash from the store. Oh, boy. Uh, anyways, enough urine talk. Uh, <laughs> a couple of things that could uh, dissuade or repel a young she would be a stonemason's all. Uh, or setting huh. it on fire, which I feel like is probably a pretty decent um, dissuasion for any creature, alive or not. Mm -hmm. And like you said, blood of a black dog. The hooves of a black donkey. Oh. Vinegar, Oof. which would, I guess, repel me, personally. I'm not a fan of vinegar. No. Um, an axe, which is, I guess, yeah. An axe would dis also dissuade most things. <laughs> a broom, holding your breath. I don't know if that's like a, oh, I'm not alive, I'm not breathing. comes up in the movie. Yeah, it's a great yeah, yeah, yeah. scene. Which we are going to talk about shortly, which I'm very excited to see your experience with that film. Um, uh, the Taoist talisman, the, that piece of paper, like if you saw our, our episode artwork that is stuck, it wouldn't normally be blank. It would have something written on it. But the this, this long, usually off-white colored paper with some sort of talisman written on it would be stuck on the forehead and it would immobilize the Jiangxi, which is really, really cool. And that's the imagery you see in a lot of, like, pop culture and things. Does not seem to be affecting some of them, though. Yeah, not always effective, especially depending on the story or the, the movie or media you consume in them. Depends on origin um, and stuff, we'll, but we'll that's talk usually about, what you see. about what's yeah, happening we'll, in the we'll movie because there that. is a really interesting <laughs> bit with that um and then i read that the best way that would be to get rid of this creature would just to be to ask a uh taoist priest for help and because nice. apparently it would be the only one who could balance their life and death with light and dark so you they just need their energies straightened out and you could stop one so i think that's pretty cool that is extremely cool i, I like things that are just like ask an adult yeah, <laughs> people people have solutions for this. I need an adult. <laughs> oh man! All right, so I want to talk about uh, Mr. Vampire. Yes, please. Also known as Hold Your Breath for a Moment, a 1985 film uh, about 
Jiangxi particularly. So the general framing plot is that um, there is a rich businessman who wants to pay a... Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> I watched this film in its entirety without subtitles. <laughs> so my understanding is partially from Googling things frantically and from um, copy-pasting things into Google Translate. It is a uh, a film that inspired a lot of yes uh, a lot of films, but mm-hmm. uh, it has three sequels uh, included Amazing. among which I couldn't find the last one on YouTube. But there's Mr. Vampire, New Mr. Vampire, Ultimate <laughs> Mr. Vampire, and then I yes. don't know what the last one is called. Sadly, action comedy. By the way, not a horror film. Really great. Yeah, I will talk a little bit about. The prevalence of action comedy horror uh, after this, but yeah, keep going. So um, there is a, uh, the main character, or at least the hero of the story, is a Tao priest named um, uh, Master Cow, uh, or Uncle Cow, depending on which versions of the summary you read. Again, I kind of am guessing, I know that he has two disciples. Uh, disciples, excuse me, one of whom is named Manchoy and one of whom is named Chao Sang. Manchoy, I immediately was like, you're the best because he has a uh, a straight bang haircut and is wearing green for much of his first scene. So I was like, hey, Amazing. you're my boy. Um, it's really, really funny. And there is a lot going into it. Like, it's a pretty long film. I think it's um, <laughs> hour, 40 minutes. And it packs a lot of mythology and uh, gags and goofy and ultimately really cool, um, cool choreographed fight scenes in it. Yes, Um, yes. So this rich businessman is paying to get his father reburied uh, safely, lest he become a Jiangxi. Yes. Uh, Because, you know, it's really dangerous, but, you know, wacky... Wacky shenanigans happen and things go wrong and he comes back to life as a Chinese vampire. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's basically Master Cow and his two kind of idiot assistants <laughs> trying to solve this situation they have put themselves in. Like, they are very, very bad at their job and also <laughs> at listening to the only dude who knows what he's talking about. So... <laughs> If you're planning to watch this film, I'm sure you can probably find it with English subtitles somewhere. Beware spoilers. <laughs> if I really want to talk about this whole movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, even if you don't find that, I would recommend looking it up on YouTube and just having a look. It's very funny, even without being able to understand the language. Like, there are a bunch of really funny sight gags. There's a bit where... Um, Kao and Manchoy are walking in the street and uh, Manchoy drifts out of frame for like a half second and <laughs> Master Kao turns around to see him and he's like a hundred yards back waving his <laughs> arms because he's just so doofy. There is the uh, the kind of uh, genki girl or um, supportive female character of the story is the businessman's daughter who all of the boys in the film are just crazy over, leading to some pretty comical stuff between the two students. Um, Chao Sang is more conventionally handsome, but uh, just as much of a doofus. In the very first scene, it is a uh, it's uh, Menchoy going and tending to all of the I want to say caskets, but more um, like they are tending to. The corpses, I think that they are purifying them for eventual transport. And he's putting incense in them, etc., etc. And uh, Chao Sang pretends to be a Jiangxi. And uh, <laughs> uh, on a, <laughs> he's a big doofus, okay? They're all doofuses. <laughs> pretends to be a Jiangxi. And then the, the row of corpses who have been lined up with the talismans on their heads to be transported... Um, they, you know, they let the lights go out, that the, you know, the calming incense, and they go a bit nuts. And so Cal's <laughs> introduction is just him coming home to his temple to find that his students have almost destroyed everything. He fixes <laughs> everything. 
Um, but there's a character in it uh, who, I, in my head, I called the Corpse Walker, who had a line of, of Jiangxi, not malevolent, who he just helped move through with the use of a handbell. And there's even a scene where the titular Mr. Vampire uh, is surrounded. He uses these, um, I would call them tame Jiangxi, to hold down Mr. Vampire. I mean, obviously... <laughs> It's ultimately unsuccessful, but it's still pretty rad. And uh, <laughs> it's all of these people with their eyes closed in that similar um, uh, Mandarin garb hopping at the direction. There's a bit where one can't get over a step and Manchoy <laughs> helps it over. <laughs> Amazing. There was one, I think... The only I watched a little bit of clips from different movies and stuff, but there was one that I watched that I don't know. I it was like three minutes long, barely, but I just watched the whole thing. I got no story context out of it, but it was just a bunch of fight scenes with Zhang Shi while techno music played on top of it, and it was uh, quite quite amusing, yeah, and I did enjoy that. <laughs> there is some like really amazing physical comedy and also like some genuinely tense scenes you said about holding your breath yeah so there's this bit where um the daughter who i was never able to find what her name is so i just called her the daughter uh she's <laughs> very cute very cute uh, has her hair in these um traditional braids for the latter half of the film and she and Manchoy are hiding from the Jiangxi in i want to say a, a home and they are basically trapped in a closet and uh, the Jiangxi is following them and Manchui produces basically like this cardboard tube that you might like pack a poster in and they use it to uh, have a chance to breathe and like blow air out behind the Jiangxi's shoulder and trick him into going the wrong way. Um, obviously it all goes wrong and it's... And, it, and some shenanigans have to happen. But there are just so many good fight scenes. There's a lady vampire who enchants Jiasang. <laughs> and um, there's a very good scene. All of the bits with mythology to them, including bits with mirrors. There's a bit where um, Master Cow makes a kind of tincture out of, I want to say, chicken blood. Yeah, because they have a very uh, censored scene of them slitting a chicken's throat where you can tell the chicken's... <laughs> fine yeah <laughs> but yeah. um all of it is done very artistically and with a lot of flourishing like it has as much choreography to it as the fight scenes uh there's mm -hmm. a bit where he um uses a mirror to repel the jiangxi um mm -hmm. at the end they set the jiangxi on fire and bury him under a bunch of pillars yep. <laughs> sounds about right yeah it's uh, as this person who again I don't know anything that's being said, but it's still a brilliant film. It's fun to look at. It's got a lot of goofy stuff. There's um, a scene where this crooked cop is... I forget <laughs> if there was some supernatural influence, but he's basically doing like this half-naked dance in the foyer of the rich man's home, trying to seduce his daughter, and the guy's <laughs> just like, what is wrong with you? Please leave. Oh my gosh. Yeah, a lot of... Like these films, there was there was like almost like a subset genre that emerged because of the Jiangxi influence in in film. And like we mentioned earlier, like they're traditionally are they steal your chi. That's they they take your life force energy. But the kind of ended up becoming a little bit influenced by Western vampire bloodsuckers. So are sometimes associated with both. But um, these undead creatures, they're usually were featured as antagonists. But like you're kind of saying, in these comedy films, they were sometimes depicted as more human-like or often <laughs> served as comic relief, which is interesting because <laughs> they're these horrifying creatures, but were so it's often portrayed hopping. in a comedic way. Yeah, there was, like I said, there was the, this genre of Jiangxi films and literature uh, in Hong Kong and East Asia, and so I have like a just a short short list just to show how widespread this is. In 1980, there was a film called Encounters of the Spooky Kind, which was a Hong Kong yes, kung fu horror um, comedy. Which I wanted to bring up because um, the main actor, the guy who plays Master Cao, Lam Ching Ying, is also in that. Nice. Yeah, from what I read, it was it was supposedly one of the first 
films that sparked this movement of the of this genre potentially that's just one of the things i read and then 1985 was mr vampire which is a hong kong comedy horror uh mm-hmm. 1989 vampire versus vampire which was another comedy horror and then they're, they're still coming like there i'm sure there are more in between but i oh. think there were a couple in the 90s then there was one in 2013 called rigor mortis which was a horror film just straight up horror which was much more dark looking mm-hmm. when i kind of like skimmed through it uh, and then there was one that came out in 2017 called vampire cleanup department which was a hong kong <laughs> comedy horror film which <laughs> sounds really fun <laughs> Oh, but gosh. yeah, these the, and this is this was like this is what five five that I just mentioned. There's tons of these. Just search Jiangxi films, and you will find tons and tons and tons of these. Are they was so prevalent? This is such a common. Wait like, a minute, hmm. Lam Chingying is also in Vampire vs Vampire, which <laughs> uh, by the way is about a Western vampire and a Jiangxi. Uh, yeah, I recognize his eyebrows. I mean- He's supposed to be old in Mr. Vampire, but he's just kind of handsome with big eyebrows. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Uh, in TV, there's some as well. One just offhanded one I found was the Jackie Chan Adventures. I think it's the animated series. There was an episode called Chi of the Vampire that Ooh. featured a, uh, a Jiangxi. Um, and they're also extremely prevalent in video games, which is really cool. And I can understand why they're such they are so unique looking and they're usually like i said earlier depicted with that 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 hat with the the talisman in the front of their face which is like a little bit contradictory because they're supposed to be like immobilized by the talisman in front of their face but it looks really cool so they keep doing it but um in overwatch may's halloween skin uh she was dressed as Jiangxi. she even had like a jumping emote which is Aww. really cute um in castlevania there was a Jiangxi esque mini boss there's one featured in kingdom hearts 2 um, in Splatoon, there's a there was like a DLC Halloween headwear, which actually my squid squidling is wearing, <laughs> the Jiangxi hat with the talisman. Um, uh, there was a 2012 game, uh, Sleeping Dogs had some Jiangxi DLC content, or I guess just DLC, and then Phantom Fighters had had an element of it in there, and that's just to name a few. It was. <laughs> There, literally, it's so prevalent. Like, this is something that, like, oh, I, when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I know what that is. But as soon as I looked it up, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've seen so much of this. I just never knew what it was called. Yeah, it's a really iconic outfit. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, how could we get this far without mentioning also a D&D? <laughs> oh, I have up the homebrew <laughs> for Jiangxi as created by, let's see if they have their name on here. No, it's just on there. But I will tell you that they are a challenge rating of 12, which is <laughs> pretty up there. Yeah. Um, and they have a, a multi-attack of one bite and three claw attacks. I don't know. I went all, <laughs> all low on that. But um, my favorite thing about them is that on their page um, under Homebrew Monsters, it describes them as deathless. Yeah. So um, when they're reduced to zero, they'll reform unless the area is uh, destroyed with a weapon made of peach tree wood, which shows that people making Homebrew Monsters do better research than whoever wrote apparently this episode <laughs> of Supernatural that I haven't seen. <laughs> <sighs> they, never mind. Uh, I won't. I, I haven't. I won't say rude things about an episode of television I have not seen. <laughs> what else is left? Gosh, I just want to talk about this movie forever. Um, <laughs> it's very, very good. Uh, I didn't watch a whole lot of Jackie Chan films growing up, but it definitely has the feeling of that um, action comedy that is yeah, just yeah. so fun to watch. You can't not enjoy it. I know. I just love the... Like through researching this, I found out that there was a genre of film called kung fu comedy horror film. Like that's so, like that's so specific, but there are so many of them, and it's extremely cool. The amount of physical skill it takes. Like Man Choi is supposed to be the least physically. Uh, he's like not good at fighting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's supposed to be kind of clumsy. But the stunts he pulls off for the sake of comedy, like, in the very first scene, he, like, does this jumping somersault over um, a a coffin, and it, 
it's just all very good. The timing required, the athleticism required to make those jokes land is just so good. If we did something very dumb in this and or I said Jiangxi wrong the whole time, please let me know. I would rather know and be able to say next episode, hey, don't be like me. I'm a bad example. Um, <laughs> then carry on in, in happy ignorance. Yeah, we're only human, and we are, we genuinely are trying our best to learn things correctly and pay respect to a culture that isn't ours in a way that isn't going to be stereotypical or negative. So if you heard something we said and were like, ooh, that's super not right, always feel free to let us know. Shoot us an email, tag us on Twitter. We, we want to hear, and we will do our best to make corrections. Yeah. We can have a corrections corner. How many corners can. can a room have? I have my comics corner. We have our D and D corner. We have corrections, corrections corner. corner. Caitlin Google's it corner, which is Caitlin I guess Google's it corner. <laughs> our room is nonagonal. No, dodecahedral. Hmm. Nope. That <laughs> refers to the three D shape, doesn't it? We're working on it. Anyways, <laughs> I think we're we're wrapping up the episode now. But thank you all. Thank you thank all so you. much Go for watch joining Mr. us. Vampire. Go watch Mr. Vampire. But thank you for joining us for another episode of Stonehouses. Uh, our next episode should be going up about two weeks from, not about, just exactly two weeks from when this episode goes up, which is Monday, November 26th. A couple oh, announcements repeated from last episode. But like I said before, we have an Instagram and a Facebook and a Twitter. So you can check us out on all of those at StonehousesCast on Twitter and Instagram and then Facebook.com slash Stonehouse's cast. Uh, Bernadette, do you want to oh, uh, yeah. tell us about your comic a little bit? Still doing that webcomic. It's going Ooh. up Wednesdays. It's called uh, The Wish and the Wild Hunt. It's at wishandthewildhunt.com. Um, it's extremely pretty. Thank you. <laughs> it's a story about... Oh, gosh, why am I... Um, <laughs> this is what oxygen deprivation does to us in our blanket forts. <laughs> it's a story about a human knight... Defending a fairy who is yet unnamed in a three-day trial against un unknown forces. And it's very <laughs> goofy. And You should oh absolutely boy. check it out. <laughs> I hope you like it. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard here today on our fun little show, please share a show with a friend, as always, and rate, review, subscribe on your podcast hosting platform of choice. It means a lot to us personally, and it tells the hosting sites that we might be worth listening and are more likely to show our show to more potential listeners, which is cool. Yeah, we are Anchor. currently available on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And I know I keep saying this on Twitter and here, but we will hopefully be available on more very soon. Anchor. We have been in contact. <laughs> We've been talking to our hosting sites and trying to push our podcast through because it has been several weeks. But we're working on it, and you will be kept in the know as we become available on iTunes in the last few sites that we have uh, submitted to. Uh, and... I feel like I'm going to say this a ton, but thank you so, 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 so much for everyone's kind words and feedback and everything, all your comments we've received over the past few weeks about our show. Oh, yeah. Makes... Do you have the name of the awesome person who did? I do. I have everyone's names, and I have some shout-outs today, some very, uh, very good, important shout-outs. Uh, what Bernadette was referencing, uh, thank you to uh, Samuel, who is at SamKaren55 on Twitter for the fanner you did of not only our... Um... <laughs> Not only our album art that Bernadette designed, but also uh, drew us a little goat man, which made me so, so happy that Woo! my mom made fun of me for being giddy about it. Um, also, thank you to our buddy Matthew and his show, The Hard Move, uh, for promoting us. And then thank you to Adric for Yay. leading a, a mini crusade to try to get Burger King to sponsor us. It was a valiant effort. <laughs> that can still happen. We'll work on it. Um, you can post about us and tag us at StonehousesCast or using hashtag StonehousesCast so we can see it and appreciate it and thank you. Um, and as always, email us at StonehousesCast at gmail.com if you have something cool you found or want to tell us about it. Or just, you know, say hi. But yeah, uh, this has been StonehousesCast, uh, an amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore. I'm Caitlin Bruder. I'm Bernadette Meeker. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. We love you. Be safe. <laughs> Bye. Bye.